All right, everyone. Well, if you've ever done psychedelics, which if you listening to this podcast, you probably have, um, you've probably listened to music while doing those psychedelics. And you've probably had some thoughts along the lines of, man, this music sounds way different and so much more important and so critical to this whole like psychedelic experience that I'm having right now. And uh, today's guest, Mendel Kalin, has taken that and probably gone further with it than anyone else that I'm aware of. He did his PhD at Imperial College London, where he studied the impact that music has on psychedelic therapy outcomes. And later on, he went on to found the company WavePass, where he's currently the CEO. WavePass is a software company that makes generative technologies or generative music technologies, rather, to be used in the course of psychedelic therapy. Um, he's an awesome sonic wizard, and I'm pleased to have him as today's guest on the podcast. So uh, thank you, Mendel, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Rom. Really a pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting. Music and psychedelics is such a seemingly seductive concept. Um, you know, I, I invested in WavePass through my fund and on the pitch deck for my fund, I have this slide that talks, that lists all the companies we've invested in. And it just says the name of the company and then like a one sentence description. So it says like WavePass, music for psychedelic therapy. And every time I show someone this pitch deck, I'm not even kidding. People look at that page and the first thing they say is, tell me more about the company that does the music. It's like everyone <laughs> wants to know about that. There's there's something about this idea of music and psychedelics. It seems like so obvious, but it wasn't always obvious, right? So how did you actually, how did you sort of have this intuition or understanding that this was something that was actually worth like dedicating a career to and studying in detail? Right. There's a bit of a funny twist there in my own yeah, my own career getting where I am right now. And that is that although I am a musician and I've been making music for all of my life and I got interested in psychedelics about 15 years ago when I was 20 years old, I never really made that connection that strongly until I was already working at Imperial. And um, that, that moment happened by seeing a photograph of Johns Hopkins University doing a psychedelic therapy session. And I saw the patient lying on a couch with headphones and an eye mask. And suddenly there was a light switch in my brain that went off. And I, I realized that music is almost the only stimulus that patients are exposed to during these drug effects. Right? They are um, barely speaking, at least not for continuous long periods of time, depending, of course, the process that someone is on. But music is almost the only stimulus present during the peak duration of these effects. And it really baffled me that no one was looking into this. There's no modern research. At, th at that point, there was no modern research looking into this. Um, so this is where the journey began, the academic journey began, is studying how psychedelics and music work together in the brain and, and all of that. Um, and for me personally, it allowed me to merge two really big passions in my life, which is music and psychedelics. And then the psychedelic, as sometimes jokingly say, in the psychedelic community, people refer to me as the music guy. But then when I go to music conferences, people refer to me as the drug guy. <laughs> and, and I really have my feet in both worlds. And, and WavePods was really born out of me going to this, but many of these realizations that came out of the research, basically. Gotcha. So I, I definitely want to talk about WavePass more, but I think that starting off just talking a bit more about what you learned and what you uncovered in your academic research would be a good place to start. Like, what, what were some of the highlights of things that you discovered in your academic career and um, especially like anything that maybe kind of surprised you or that was a little bit unintuitive, if there's anything like that. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. There, 
I think when you are starting to do research that has never been done before, uh, everything is a big surprise in a way. Right? You, you, will, you will not expect necessarily to, to see the results that you're seeing, as opposed to replicating previous research, which of course is a golden standard in um, academia as well. Um, so there's a number of highlights. Um, I would say the neuroimaging studies we've done were pretty interesting. We basically had people listen to music in an MRI scanner while being on or off LSD in this case. And then we decomposed the soundtrack into the different compositional and acoustic features. So that allowed us to look at how the brain is processing the different acoustic properties in music. So rhythm, key changes, um, the timbral components, the amount of dissonance in the music, you name it. And look at how the brain is processing these soberly and then how that's different under LSD. And what we found there was really interesting. We saw that under the influence of LSD, a huge amount of resources are being allocated to processing the tone color in the sound of the music. And that happened in specifically in areas specialized in language. So a lot of ideas and theories came out of that. But the idea that tone color and that, that the brain is allocating more attentional resources, one may say, to process tone color more under a psychedelic, um, we were not expecting that to see. But of course, when you start thinking about it and reading about it, you have a very beautiful story there. And there's a lot of angles to this, but tone color, which in essence is defined as all those harmonic qualities in music that are not pitch or not volume, is used by us all the time to differentiate different voices. It's used by babies before we are born into this world to differentiate voices of different caregivers in their environment already. It's used to differentiate between different musical instruments and it's the primary modality by which emotion is communicated. So that the brain is processing this more under a psychedelic, of course, fit the already narrative that you're building through previous research that the subjective experience, more broadly speaking, is so intensified in a psychedelic state. That was one thing. Um, another thing, when we did more clinical research and we were interviewing patients about their experience of the music, which I found really interesting to notice is the language choice that patients had when they referred to the music. They talked about the music as if they were held by the music, as if the, the music was listening to them, as if the music was... Um, holding them, carrying them, transporting them, reassuring them, almost as if it's a human being that they are in communication with. And this led to the idea that music itself is um, some kind of third therapist in the room. Yeah, there's much more to say on this, but these are a few important highlights I would like to say that really led to, well, there's no wave paths. The tone color thing especially is very interesting. I mean, I personally get very strong synesthesia when I do psychedelics. And um, a lot of that synesthesia seems to be driven by the music that I'm listening to. Like, And depending on, as you said, the tone color, you will see like very different colors or patterns like in the closed eye visuals. And it seems, it does seem like the tone color has a more dominant effect than say the tempo of the music or like the drum pattern. It's more about like, how does that snare drum sound? How does that kick right. drum sound that really right. drives that, that like closed eye synesthesia. So that's pretty interesting. And um, I'm, I'm curious, like, a lot of those studies that I, you know, that I know that you've done were sort of comparing like different types of music and how 
people respond to like different types is how universal is the idea of like good music for psychedelics versus bad music for psychedelics i mean obviously there's something to do with patients preferences and everything yeah but can we sort of say generally that this is the type of music that you'd want and maybe this is the type of music you would want for the come up versus the peak versus the come down yes well so yes let me dissect that question yeah it's Um, a big one sorry it's a big one, but it's of course exactly what we're what we're studying. So I would love to again highlight a few of these insights there. The more we do this research, and the listeners need to understand that the, the reason why WavePods was founded was to double down on more research and more understanding on the effects of music and psychedelics in combination. But the more we do this work, the more we conclude that there is no such thing as a universal best music for the psychedelic experience. That, in a way. Music is like language, and we all speak a different mother tongue, and depending on where the country that you were born in. And in the same way, we all have a different musical personality based on the different musical genres and styles we have built identity attachments with in our teenage years and our early adulthood, and you name it. So um, this is already a finding in the um, work that I did at Imperial, is you can sometimes have one song, exactly the same song, that can facilitate a total life-changing experience for one individual, but can lead to a nightmare experience and potentially a counter-therapeutic experience to one, for another individual. So trying to understand that better and predict what music resonates better for people is exactly what we're doing. But then having said that, if you zoom out for a moment, you talk about different phases right, in the psychedelic experience. You have the pre-onset where you wait for the effects, the onset when the effects kick in, the peak where the effects are at its most intense, and then the return to baseline consciousness and there's definitely some conclusions we can make on kind of what music is best fitting in general for these different phases Uh, because different functions different needs are present in these different phases right in the beginning there's a greater emphasis on reassurance and safety in the peak you may want to actually help uh, the the listener to confront difficult experiences to do the therapeutic work Whereas in the return phase, you may want to ensure that the individual feels grounded and present in one's body and able to gradually start to have a conversation with the therapist and and all of that. Um, But yeah, the more we do this work, the more we conclude that um, there is no such thing as the perfect playlist or the perfect soundtrack for psychedelic experiences. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So if someone was designing a playlist, obviously they should just be using wave paths, but hypothetically calming safety music at the beginning transitioning into maybe more intense music to help the confrontation and then in general yeah but then there but then there are footnotes as well because the but the same music for one individual could be really uh, helpful and therapeutic that individual itself is also on a journey session by session right so there are the musical preferences but there's also the process the individual is on and what music needs to support that process which is very dynamic within the session and then also from session to session so, um, yeah, there's no, and this is, I, I hate to say this because people always want to have a fixed kind of simple protocol to follow, but there's a real art to music selection. And this, of course, what we're trying to solve and kind of simplify for, for therapists. That makes sense. So let me ask you this, then. This is maybe a, f- a follow-up question. If it is so personalized, if you go back to some of the, you know, the ancient traditions of the, you know, Shipibo shamans or whatever, oftentimes their psychedelic work is done in a group setting, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so what what is the idea of like music 
the, the importance of personalization. How does that translate into this idea of like a group session? Does this mean that maybe group sessions are not optimal and that people should be doing these things kind of uh, as solo journeys? Or what, Yeah, what do you think? right. So there's a few things there. Uh, um, I think group sessions have their benefits and their challenges. And there's definitely things we can borrow from traditional use as well, but also things we should not borrow that, with that immediacy. Because these practices have been formed in a very specific time and location. That's and music. The music also created in that complex is very specific for that time and that culture. Doesn't mean that some of us may not be able to find great resonance with the music um, when we are taking part in these traditional settings. In fact, there's something in those songs that make them very uh, fitting, needless to say, for these psychedelic experiences. Um, but there are, needless to say, specific for that time and culture. So that's one thing. Um, when it comes to how shamans make music in these traditional contexts, and I'm saying this both from studying anthropology as well as having lived in the Amazon jungle as a 20-year-old kid experiencing ayahuasca um, for a number of months, is yes, there there is... You went a, to Amazon when you were 20 to do ayahuasca? Wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah an early, er, deep dive in the early, um, early adulthood for sure. Yeah. Yes, and I learned... I learned great things there as well. And um, one of the things I witnessed so clearly is that, yes, there is an adaptation to the group, maybe more to the individual at times, but also, of course, dependent on what tradition and what, what ceremonies you're talking about. But shamans would, at times, sing a song for an individual, like call an individual to his or her space or walk towards the individual, kneel down and sing a song after a diagnosis specific for this individual. So there's a lot of personalization that is still happening, I would dare to say. But again, shamanism is this huge umbrella term, and it basically applies to many different traditions around the world. Um, and there's many different kind of tweaks to that as well. But yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, these uh, the Shipibo shaman are not pulling up a Spotify playlist and pressing play, right? They're actually performing something, probably doing lots of improvisation around these sort of core themes. So you could say that... Um, you know, they are basically doing generative music as well and kind of somewhat customized to the group, maybe to the individual at times. Yeah, so totally, that, yeah. that makes sense. In fact, as, and these, these songs are often uh, gifted to them through interaction in, in their worldview with the plant spirits. So many, many years of work to become a shaman in the village that you live in. And in that work, you are gifted songs that are related to a specific plant, a plant. And the ways the shamans I work with refer to these songs are almost like a telephone number. So you, you dial a specific telephone number to call on the spirit of this plant that you want to do the healing work with. No matter what you think of the kind of metaphysical belief systems around that, we can just park that entirely. But this idea of an essence that is related to a song that you get equipped with, that you have a very deep relationship with, and that you can then work with, and, and to your point, improvise with in a life setting, with the client you're working on is very central to their work. Yeah. And you talk about the telephone number thing, and that might sound, you know, kind of crazy to someone who's like firmly rooted in, you know, the Western world. But I mean, I, I've been in situations where like the shaman plays a specific song 
and everyone just immediately throws up. It's like there's something about that song that makes people <laughs> yeah. need to purge. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, and so you, whether that's a spirit or whether that's some sort of, you know, um, just pure brain chemistry thing, mm-hmm. there's certainly something to be said about the idea that like very specific songs can evoke certain emotions, even if you had no sort of pre-programming to associate that song with the specific emotion. There's just something about the tone color, maybe the melody that makes it happen. Um that that brings up another question, actually, that I've been wanting to ask you. I, I've had some debates with people on this idea of, is is it useful to have songs that the patient is familiar with mm. in the playlist? Or should it be all songs that are totally new to the patient? The idea being that, sure, maybe on the one hand, having a familiar song would be comforting mm-hmm. or you know associated with good memories, but also maybe you're bringing some negative things associated with that song into the playlist or into, into the psychedelic session. Like, what, What's sort of your take on that? Yeah, so if you ask um, most psychedelic therapists, they would say you want to avoid familiarity as much as possible. You want the music to be novel. You do not want the music to be an anchor for safety too much because the, the main invitation is to let go. The main invitation is, is to explore and be open for novelty in yourself through the music. So if you have a song that is very familiar to you, it's um, it can be like a, like a defense mechanism almost of sorts that prevents you to go deeper in your process. Um, so that's a very common notion that you would find in the psychotherapy community. And I think in, that there's something important about that that we, we see as well in our work. But um, familiarity can be therapeutic. Right? We all have, for example, songs in our life that we have, have kind of related and connected with specific periods in our life. You, you may, as a therapist, want to bring in those songs specifically to help people return to specific periods in their lives. So you can do it collaboratively before the session begins. And then also to your point, um, if you work with specific patient populations, let's say patients with trauma, there can be great benefit actually in some kind of collaborative approach beforehand that kind of makes them feel more in control and more, um, more, yeah, more, more in control. That's the best way to put it in a, in a balanced way. You may want to do it only at the beginning or at the end or maybe at the moment of the peak and have a collaborative process that kind of balances familiarity with novelty um so again that's also not kind of a black and white scenario but we one of the things we saw so clearly in our work with imperial this is really interesting is that yes to your point known songs can have a whole baggage of associations that come with it and you don't know what associations your client will have with that song so it's a gamble what will come up when you play a piece that may be very familiar, like um, like uh, Adagio for Strings, which is a beautiful piece of classical music, incredible, but it's used over and over again in advertisements and films and you name it. Uh, Henry Gorecki, another example, amazing piece of music. I had I selected uh, bits of, of an album um, by this art, by this composer, in the first psilocybin uh, play that I created for Imperial, but then some listeners were familiar with the background of this album and the background of the album is that it's created in response to processing the holocaust in nazi germany maybe not the best thing to think and it's about a pretty dark a trip, theme yeah. that suddenly exactly that you're suddenly reminded of and it can be if that's your part of your process you know that can be but if it's not part of your process it's a distraction and there's many more examples that i can give here um, where um, we really encourage to have kind of novelty as the basis 
On top of that, if you have control over the novelty of the music, the, 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 the freshness that the music is experienced with, you also create new memories with that music. You create totally unique memories with this totally unique music that you can then leverage and work with therapeutically afterwards. Because then you can gift this new music to the client for continuous processing and reconnection with the experience, integrating the experience in one's daily life, you name it. That makes sense. Yeah, so I, I've also personally sort of experienced this where you hear a bunch of new music and then afterwards you're like, man, I got to listen to that song that I yes. listened to during the trip. Yes. And then, yes, of course, common. you listen to it again and you're like, man, that song sounded way better when I was, you know, right in the <laughs> But uh, <laughs> it's still good afterwards. Um, another controversial discussion topic around music selection for psychedelic therapy uh vocals or no vocals mm -hmm. did yeah, you ever sure. did you find any did you find anything in your research around people's preferences yes i'm personally a no, a no vocals guy for the most uh -huh. part but i'm curious to yes know what your well take is. exactly this is a great example of personalizing music because vocals are quite polarizing some people find vocals very helpful to to feel connected and feel reassured and have a sense of humanity shining through the music. And it's also important to differentiate between vocals with lyrics and without. And it's another thing. Um, but pure vocals without lyrics, some people found them very distracting. And most likely that is because, and this is what we pick up in kind of interviewing patients about their experience, for example, is that vocals will bring in more of a human personality suddenly in the session. You know, and suddenly you have this person that joins your session. So that's another gamble in a way. You, you bring these individuals into your session, certainly. Um, now, um, if, you, if you can, again, predict ahead of time if this person resonates with certain female vocal qualities or male vocal qualities, cultural qualities to the voice, you name it, it can be a very powerful tool to um, make the music really feel more human. <laughs> it's a bit of an obvious thing to say, but it's one thing that we pick up. Lyrics on their hands, so most therapists would recommend against lyrics uh, because using words is engaging a very different type of cognition than you m mostly want in a session to happen. Right? You, you mostly want the focus to be on experiencing, on really being in the moment wherever that music is bringing you. Words are a step away removed from experience. Right? Words are per definition and symbol it points to something, an object or an experience. So by engaging that part of the mind, you may actually remove the individual also more further away from the experience. But again, we also see that this is not a black and white thing. And well, I think selected lyrics can be incredibly powerful as well, especially when the theme of the lyrics is fitting to the process that the individual is going through. Yeah, it really sort of speaks to the, the lyrics can be very sort of directive. And in psychedelic therapies, there's a sort of idea of like there's directive and then there's non-directive therapy and like lyrics are definitely directive. And, and I've noticed that this even happens um, outside of psychedelic therapy context too. Like if I'm doing work or studying, it's very hard for me to listen to any music that has lyrics. Right. Yeah, um, fun, funny enough, I can listen to music that has lyrics sung in a language I don't understand. And then it yes. almost sounds like an instrument. But if <laughs> yes, it's exactly. English, I can't really get anything done because I just get drawn to whatever the person is saying. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that directive versus non-directive idea, but well, I, I, that's a really good point. Like, if, if the if the lyrics are in your in a, in, a, in a language you understand, the music becomes more concrete. It becomes more about something. 
Um, the great thing about instrumental music is it's not about something concrete. It, instrumental music conveys a process. Right? So music can convey the process of grief. It can convey the process of letting go or feeling strong or feeling confident or feeling sad. But it's not about griefing for this person or letting go of this thing. Uh, it's the process. And if that music then carries you on this experience your mind the mind of you is projecting the concrete content into the musical event and this is one of the main theories we're working with with music and psychedelic therapy is music is almost <laughs> sometimes dare to say one of the most ideal therapeutic tools for that reason because it it, it it really harmonizes the balance of providing some form of direction which is what music is doing but at the same time some some space some liberty for the mind of the individual to be made visible in the in the experience of the music and made more um, um, uh, expressed and, and come to the surface more, more more fully basically yeah it can definitely push you off in a direction but still give you lots of leeway it's kind of like a wind in a certain way right like the wind kind i love of that yeah i love that metaphor and you can change the sails still right if you're sailing right you can change <laughs> absolutely yeah so um, before one last question, before we get into wave pass, I know that a lot of the research you did at Imperial was using LSD and I would imagine that the findings with LSD probably carry over to other 5-HT2A agonists like psilocybin. Um, but do we see pretty consistent results, whether you're looking at something like LSD or whether you're looking at a drug that has a totally different mechanism of action like ketamine? Yes. Yeah, um, is it pretty similar? Um, I would say it's more similar than different. So we look at the brain effects of both, um, let's say, psilocybin, NSD, and ketamine. They share strong similarities, which is interesting if because they are different molecules and they have different kind of neuropharmacological effects. They bind to different receptors. But if you, if you image the brain, they are more similar than different, I would dare to say. In fact, they're, they're, they're pretty consistent if you look at so-called resting state conditions which is a kind of neuroscientific term to look at what the drug in this case is doing without any stimulus involved. Um, so that's one thing to say. Um, um, when it comes to the experience of music for these different medicines, this is something we are right now actively studying. And it's too early to disclose anything on that front. But you're right, we have studied LSD. I mean, we have studied LSD at Imperial. Uh, and now we are actively comparing these different drugs and studying sound and music perception which will then lead to tailoring choices around acoustic compositional properties to these different medicines. And I would not be surprised if there are some subtle or not so, not so subtle differences between these different medicines that are actually really important to take into effect. Yeah. One really common effect that ketamine, for example, that people experience is this sense of uh, total timelessness where music becomes more about the harmonics that are there in this moment rather than the journey that the composition is carrying you on, worship psilocybin and MDMA in particular, you hear almost the opposite, right? You're more carried on this movement that music is creating um, in its progression. So if that's true, you want to think through how you can best, how you can then best design music for those different experiences and provide the most, the, the most optimal therapeutic uh, support conditions, basically. 
Yeah, I, I can say that in my own uh, N equals one research, I can uh, <laughs> confirm those findings. Uh, with ketamine, it's right. like you almost you almost don't hear the music. It's like it right. just becomes like a texture on the wall. It might as well be like the wall or a painting yeah. or something. Yeah, or you, you kind of zoom into it almost where the music becomes in- invisible. Right? That's another way to put it. Yeah. And it's like the, the only time that you notice the music is when it stops playing right. before the next song comes on. You're like, oh, there was a song. Which is also very dose dependent. That's also important to notice. We see the same effects with high with high dose of psilocybin and high dose MDMA experiences. Music also becomes more of a backdrop. And it doesn't mean that the music is not influencing the experience anymore. But it's, it may be doing it more kind of um, subconsciously without the kind of conscious awareness of the music. Absolutely. Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, okay, so on to WavePass. So, so you did your PhD, then you did your, some postdoc work, right? At what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to switch from academia to actually start a company? Was this something that you always had planned? No. Or was there something yeah. that kind of happened that made you think, oh, I should commercialize? You I know, never thought I'm of myself on. as an entrepreneur. But the more I do this work, the more I realize that this is definitely a pattern in my, in my life, um, without doubt. Um, so... The kind of going through a PhD near the end of a PhD and during my kind of post of period, kind of two years after that, I designed many of the playlists for the clinical trials and worked together with many therapists. And I saw firsthand many times that the most qualified psychotherapists you can think of were really struggling with very important questions about music. What to do if the patient requests the music to stop? Uh, what to do if the individual having the experience is saying, please, this music is making me feel so unsafe or the music is, is um, distracting me or whatever. There's all these different reasons why someone may say, please stop the music. <laughs> what do you do? What's the best therapeutic response? So this is, of course, where we are really doubling down our, our, our studies. But this is that was, for me, the main moment, I would say, where I realized there's this huge knowledge gap or expertise gap in this community. And this is where the first ideas of wave paths were formed, um, because I also at the same time have always been really interested in computational um, creative systems, kind of creative AI, how some people refer to this, building these generative systems that kind of make art, um, biometrics, the neuroscience of human development, the neuroscience of psychedelics. And the main vision that we had back then was we can actually merge this into one model, one framework, and one technology. Um, but of course, it was a, 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 another step to then do that right, and really leave my academic career and really do this. And how that happened was basically realizing that this idea was just keeping me awake at night all the time. I was just totally obsessed with this, this idea. And I realized that no matter how kind of well kind of designed my academic career, was becoming that I would not for, have forgiven myself if I would not have tried to create this technology. That, that, that's the, that was the strength of the, the creative vision, basically. And then I, then I threw myself off the cliff, basically, symbolically, and learned how to build an airplane on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I think that, in, that unique insight that um, Music is very important for psychedelic therapy, but a lot of therapists are not very good DJs. Yes. Is, uh, something that, you know, people need to kind of realize. So, okay, so for people, let's take a step back. For people that are not necessarily familiar, like what is WavePaths? Can you just kind of give us the high-level overview and maybe what it actually looks like for someone to use the product? Got it, yeah. So 
to put it really short of succinct, we have developed and are developing a framework, a set of understandings and insights that help to make the music better resonate, better personally resonate with the listener. Um, and then a system that allows to simplify the process and on top of that, generate live music for the listener that has his experience. And the fact that this is live music created in this moment allows for great flexibility. You can pre-program the music beforehand. You can set the variables and let it run. But you can also you can also take over manually at any point and change the emotional qualities, change the emotional intensity, change the instrumentation without necessarily changing the entire course of the experience for the listener. The next step is integra integrating biometric information that adds an, a new level of optimization to this process. But this is what we have developed. Is it's a platform that creates live music tailored to the medicine and the individual having the experience. Gotcha. So someone might open up the software and say, here's the drug that I'm doing. Here are my musical preferences. Exactly. Here are the types of emotions that I want to process during the trip. And then let me press go. And now there is this soundscape sort of, for lack of a better word, that's generated and it guides people through the trip, but it's not static. Like you kind of mentioned that it's generative, which means that the trip sitter or the therapist or even the patient themselves could kind of adjust the emotional intensity, the even emotional direction kind of in real time without like jumping to another Spotify playlist yeah. or trying to find another song. Is that kind of the, That's the correct. idea? Yeah, yeah. In the same yeah. way that if, if you would be a shaman singing a song, you would change the intonation of your voice depending on the experience that the listener has. Right, that's a level of immediacy we are creating. Uh, and on top of that, one thing that I, I do like to take a moment to emphasize is, although we use these terms like generative music, one thing that we realized actually more and more is that this idea of generative music, this term generative music, can create a false impression that it's all computer-generated music, which is not fully true. Uh, we work with more than 30 different live musicians at the moment, and these life, these, these 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 musicians, they they make they create the building blocks for what can become a composition. And these can be acoustic instruments of all sorts. These can be electronic instruments of all sorts. And then our system has an inbuilt logic to then merge and remix these components in real time to have a real time composition of sorts that still is fully live, but also at the same time has a human quality to it. And, and not have that kind of bland, cold, generative sound to it that, that you that actually some other generative apps that are not for psychedelics really have. It's 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 um, it's hard to find these systems. I dare to say that have still that human feel to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, you know, similar to you, Mendel, I actually grew up in a musical family and uh, my brother is actually a songwriter in natural, like a full-time songwriter producer. I've worked in recording studios. So I, I feel like I have a better ear for music than the average person does. And, you know, when I first heard about wave paths, my first thought was like you said, oh, generative music, it's probably like this sort of corny, like computer generated stuff. And then I heard it and I was like, oh, this is actually good. <laughs> this is kind of amazing. Yes. Yeah, great. Um, and, and it's, and what's amazing. And I, I, I hope that at some point you can have you know some more demos for people to see but it's amazing how simple the software is but still allows like infinite amounts of adjustments if you if you choose to go that deep into it so like at a yeah. high level you can just press play on the soundscape and it will guide you through the whole thing 
But if you, for example, feel that the music is too intense, you can like press the calm button and it will just <laughs> seamlessly, tra- it'll exactly. just like somehow se- seamlessly transition to this calming music. And then, you know, we were talking about vocals. You can even dig into any song that's being played and say, I actually want to remove the vocals or I want to remove the drums or I want to swap out the drums for different drums. So you, you can actually like almost like live DJ the exactly. whole thing if you yeah. want to, you or you DJ. can just let it play, which is really crazy. Um, I've, I've literally never, I, you know, I've used Pro Tools, I've used Ableton, I've used Log, I've used like all these different things and I've never really come across anything like WavePass. It's truly like a one of a kind thing. Um, so yeah, I, I just like geek out on it because of the, the music side. Um, it's super nice. cool. Yeah. So who who is using WavePaths now? Is it being used mostly by consumers or is it being used in clinics? Like what sort of because you guys launched pretty recently, right? A couple months ago to the public. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah, yeah. We kind of launched silently commercially end of last year, and then we kind of started to actively welcome and onboard new therapists, new clinics per January. Uh, right now we have about 300 clinics around the world. U.S., Canada, Europe. Three, 300, you said? Yeah, 300 clinics. Yeah. Um, South America, India even, um, New Zealand, Australia. Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing um, how quick this is being picked up. And the large majority of these clinics are ketamine clinics. Yeah. And this is, of course, as you are, are aware of, because many therapists want to work with endomere of psilocybin, but these are not available on the market yet. Ketamine is a licensed medicine and people can start a ketamine clinic and offer psychedelic therapy with ketamine. So you see a lot of, um, so we are really at the heart of a lot of therapist trainings as well. So we, we see thousands of, 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 of therapists going through these programs at the moment. And um, we see a lot of new clinics being opened up in these different continents. And then what we do is provide this, this, this platform to these clinics. And they range from really small kind of one therapist kind of private clinics, um, psychiatrist or psychoanalyst that kind of have a, a private practice of sorts, all the way to kind of larger multi-site clinics that have 10 or 20 or more clinics and more clinics to come. And, I, and I'm curious to know, I mean, obviously you have 300 clinics using it and probably even more therapists. So obviously people want to use the product, but what is kind of, when you have when you're having sort of these sales conversations, like do people get it or are people do people say, oh, why do I need WavePass when I have you know my personal playlist that I've created? Yes, over the years? like yeah, yeah. W- what is sort of the conversation like? It's it's very different. Most people get it pretty quickly, I would say, because most people want to know what music to play and they look at us for guidance, basically for the music curation. What has been a surprise to learn for those people is that we have built this platform that allows them to make live music and we don't offer these kind of fixed playlists. But then for people to really understand the value of live created music versus a fixed playlist, I would say that needs to come with experiencing it. In the same way, I think this is a very classical um, analogy. Back in the days when people were still driving horses from shop to shop and city to city, right? if you try to explain to an individual what it is to drive a car, uh, people are laughing at you, not understanding you, and they are perfectly happy with the, their, how their horse was bringing them to the next city. This is really, I think, what's happening at this moment. This is a technology that's never existed before, and there's this educational gap that we're bridging. But we are seeing, as soon as people are picking this up and playing with it and working with it, that they are falling in love with it. Yeah. That's yeah, that's amazing. So, what kind of what kind of feedback do you get? Are um, 
Have you had any, obviously you get feedback that says we love wave pass. Have you had any sort of like interesting pieces of feedback that, um, maybe either confirmed or made you question some of the academic foundations or, you know, maybe surprising pieces of feedback that you've taken from some of your customers? Yes. And so this is really, really good and and, and fun to be so close to the patient experience much more than I was at at the university because I have so many data points coming in on a daily basis, so many patient experiences, basically, that we are supporting and the feedback that we're getting from that is super rich. So we are, we're spinning out new insights around music and psychedelic therapy on a weekly basis. We're testing multiple hypotheses on a weekly basis. Uh, and there's, again, this is such a large question. <laughs> there's so many of them, but, but to give you a few examples to kind of also illustrate how our own thinking has evolved around music, is our music in the beginning was less structured. <clears throat> it was pretty free flow. And it was very much inspired by Brian Eno's work around music for airports, ambient music, um, and also various ideas we are developing around how we can mimic nature soundscapes in music. And if you listen to a nature soundscape, if you listen to, if you're in a forest, there's no clear pulse to how, how the birds sing. At the same time, there is this periodicity. There is this kind of rhythm of sorts, but it has a certain free flow to it. That was something we wanted to embody in the music. Now, the feedback that we got in the early days is, if and the therapist I was interviewing said, my if my patient is very dissociated and has a so-called high degree of ego disintegration, time is totally gone. Right, the sense of self is totally gone. And there may be even fear associated with that process. Most of these use cases actually need structure. And so we developed this, this theory out of this, which we are just continuously expanding. That actually rhythm has a unique function to play. And that most likely if you hear, if you kind of study traditional music, let's say the Amazonian traditions working with ayahuasca, you have some songs that are very rhythmless that are more like a lullaby. But then you often have a lot of rattles and drums as well and kind of a stable pulse to it. Most likely that is because the mind is losing its usual structure and it needs to anchor a sense of structure and a sense of continuity in something else. And music is providing that structure and providing that sense of continuity in the experience in the absence of all of this. So without going into too many details here, we are actively studying rhythm at the moment. And it's really fun. We actually just released a new feature, which is called the percussive feature, where there's control over the types of drums, um, very soon the kind of um, BPM, the rhythms, and and many different things. And really trying to understand how different types of rhythms and pulses and polyrhythms will basically influence the experience um, in the ways that you want as a therapist or as a patient. Hey, that, that is so cool. Yeah, I think you're definitely right that um, having some kind of rhythm, whether it's percussive or not, can be pretty critical. Uh, you can definitely yeah. get lost in the in the nothingness <laughs> of there's nothing there. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've done some. Per- I've had some personal trips where I, you know, the classic thing is you put the eye mask on, and I wanted to take that a step further, and I just put earplugs in, not headphones, but like earplugs, so like mm-hmm. no music, no light. Mm-hmm. That, that's yes. a very interesting thing to be yeah, in. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Music is probably better to have in jet for most people, but uh, well, I think so. You are referring Terrence McKenna's. 
uh, <laughs> recommendation yeah, the, to take. The dark, the dark room. Yeah. yeah. I did the same in my <laughs> 20s with mushrooms. And I was, um, the thing is, you know, when I reflect back on that experience, I realized there is no silence. Right? When I had my earplugs in, I was listening to the sounds of my own body amplified. Right? You have a heartbeat and you... Yes. And what's amazing is if you take enough, you actually, your body almost starts to create its own, like, songs within your mind based on heartbeat or maybe the sound of the air yeah, conditioner yeah. you know rumbling or something uh yeah yeah all sorts of strange auditory like kind of i don't want to say hallucinations but almost like auditory hallucinations that can happen for sure. definitely yeah, recommended yeah. for those who are interested in exploring you, you mentioned um biofeedback is this something that is kind of incorporated now or something that you plan to incorporate in the future? And like, how do you plan to incorporate biofeedback? Cause that to me is like yes. the next level, totally. super cool, like yeah, futuristic totally. thing. Yes. We are actively gathering data, both ourselves as well as with different partners we are working with. EEG, heart rate, heart rate variability, breathing, you, you, you name it. There's lots of different kind of data points and data sets we are creating. And we are building predictive models out of that. So what can we say about the experience of the listener in this moment based on these different inputs? Um, now, this is a patent that we have not filed yet, so I can't disclose too much about what's happening there. But this is exactly right. This is the next step in our technology development is we are developing this as we speak, and the next step is to integrate it into the software so that the, um, the, the care seeker can have something like, let's say, an aura ring or a little band of sorts that is non-intrusive, but it still then provides the system feedback on biological variables. For the therapist, it's great to kind of kind of monitor the heart rate and, and other things in the same screen. And at the same time, uh, our music is also responding to it in different ways, more in a moment. So more and more over the coming years, our system will really grow into a state of maturity where it's really singing to you. And in the same way that, to our earlier example, the shaman will be singing to you, or the music therapist may be making music with you in a moment. That's that's where we're growing into. That's that's the, the midterm vision of what we are building. Yeah, it's an amazing vision. I mean, the not only can you adjust the music in real time to the biofeedback, but I imagine that it sort of creates this flywheel where as you gather data, you know what song was playing or what tone was playing. And so you can start to build up this database. So, oh, this particular song with these settings causes people's heart rate to increase or causes people to get anxious, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That gives you a lot of predictive information about maybe what to play next. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on top of that, the system can function itself in the moment. Right? In the same way that a singer may, again, change the intonation based on the feedback it's getting in the moment. There's yeah. more of that immediacy. So, so is WavePass right now primarily for use in clinics, or if some you know some person who you know does their own sort of psychedelic sessions in their house is that is it something that they can use, or um, <laughs> like kind of in a direct to consumer way? Or yes, yeah, we are picking up a huge interest on that domain. For the sake of focus, we are not doing anything too large on that front. Um, but we have, we have a number of people on our platform that are paying the clinical price because they love this platform so much. Um, and we're also kind of working with these individuals to fine tune how a consumer product may, may look like. Um, we are So it is building, something that maybe will happen in the long run? Is a, like well, a we are building a native okay. app as we speak, actually. Um, and a very simple version at the beginning that is basically 
empowering people at their home to have access to music as a therapist, uh, wherever they are, whatever they're feeling. And at the same time, integrate that with the clinics we're working with, helping people to prepare at home through music listening experiences uh, for the psychedelic therapy session that awaits them. Uh, and then they have their therapy session. The, the system even knows what this individual is most likely uh, responding well to with the music. And then on top of that, the individual then is gifted the unique music created for this individual in this moment back home for integration purposes at home. There's a loop there. We can refer to different clinics that are using WavePods and there's an ecosystem that we're building on that front. But kind of to take a step back, what we're, what has always been the vision behind this, this enterprise is that it's not the drug that is the most kind of important, most important therapeutic agent. Funny enough, when you kind of look into the research, there are particular experiences that are most likely to facilitate change in one's life. And when you look at what those experiences are, they are primarily experiences, experiences that are really personally meaningful for the individual in this moment. So this idea of personal meaning making is really at the heart of what we believe the future of mental health care will be, with or without psychedelics. The future of mental health care will be more and more personalized, individualized, and will be more and more concerned with the question, how can we give this individual an experience that changes them or an experience that supports this particular treatment program as an adjunct. Right? So um, the product that we have built has always been built with some kind of agnosticity in mind, with being agnostic to its use case, being agnostic to the, even as a psychic therapist, agnostic to the training you are coming from. But you can then play with the instruments the way you want in the same way that you are learning to play a guitar as you want. So what we're seeing at the same time is a huge interest from uh, people uh, being yoga teachers, breathwork facilitators, all sorts of different wellness retreats that are out there. Uh, we're even speaking with um, a very um, large hotel owner at the moment to think through how we can facilitate experiences as medicine in their hotel sections, in the hotel rooms. So the kind of business model of this enterprise has always been agile from day one and not necessarily dependent or, or anchored only in psychedelic experiences, because I am pretty convinced, and needless to say, I'm putting a lot of my time, energy, and money in this, that your future of mental health care will be beyond psychedelics. It will be including psychedelics, but there are certain lessons that psychedelic therapy research is giving us that goes way beyond it. And music will be a very important component of that without, without much doubt. Absolutely. And I, I'm so glad that you decided to, you know, leave academia and do a startup because the <laughs> startup world al allows you to think in these broader terms, yes, whereas academia exactly. forces you to like drill very down true. into these very specific niches. Do you, do you like, how, how do you, um, do you like being a startup founder versus uh, an academic? Are, are you, uh, are you loving it? <laughs> I, well, in general, yes. Needless to say, in general, I absolutely love this, but it's, it's, it comes back and forth as a love-hate relationship at times because it's also one of the most intense things I've ever done and at the same time the most rewarding thing I've ever done because totally to your point if as an academic you are primarily creating ideas right you're building theories you're sharing formal research reports and that's it whereas I've always had a creative um, mind let's say that wants to go a step further talk about practical implementations dare to dream about how the future may look like of mental health care of technology um, so, yeah, building your own organization is giving you the freedom to manifest it into the world, build the team that can help them manifest it into the world. And that is absolutely um, 
yeah, amazing to, to witness for sure. Yeah, it's, I, I can imagine. Let me ask you one other thing here. So um, right now, sort of the gold standard for psychedelic therapy is you have the eye mask and you have the headphones on, right? There are a couple companies out there that are kind of saying that they're going to put virtual reality goggles on you and you're going to be looking at something that is going to guide you through a certain experience, almost like, you know, wave paths for the eyes. Mm-hmm. Personally, the idea of wearing virtual reality goggles and looking at a screen during psychedelic therapy seems like torture to me. <laughs> but that might ju- that might just be because I'm, you know, I don't really like virtual reality in general. Maybe I'm like too old to get it. What mm. do you think? Do you think that there's an analogy between being guided by music and being guided by, you know, custom visuals? And do you think that virtual reality assisted psychedelic therapy will ever be a thing? Or is that just people trying to shoehorn virtual reality into psychedelic therapy? I think it's primarily the latter, to be honest. Um, okay. <laughs> but, um, but that, that said, I am very much like you. I'm also personally biased. Like I've never had a, a virtual reality experience that truly convinced me. Um, and, and, and even better put, most virtual experiences, virtual reality experiences I had were pretty exhausting for my eyes and for my entire experience and felt totally um, disembodying. Right? Um, so that's one thing that I'm just very skeptical about if you would bring it into a psychedelic therapy session. Um, if it's misguided by incomplete or incorrect understandings of what the real therapeutic objectives are in psychedelic therapy, you can, you may at your very best create a very beautiful experience for this individual, but that's not always necessarily therapeutic. So, and there's much more angles to this, but I, I, I always kind of emphasize here that what you want in any kind of experiential therapy, not only psychedelic therapy, but any therapy that has this experiential component that emphasizes how important it is to have this direct felt experience, is you want to have tools that guide the awareness into those experiences. Um, if you study the masters of psychotherapy, Carl Rogers, Milton H. Erickson, um, you name it, they would always say something very similar in different ways, but they would always say one of the most important um, um, challenges you as a therapist in your therapy sessions has ha- uh, is, is finding ways to influence the attention of the care seeker and guide it to there where most constructive resources are. But so if you if you play a beautiful film that may it may it may be or a virtual reality experience it may it may resonate and guide that process but can also move it away from it. So I'm not against this idea um, but I think it can easily more easily become a distraction because um, with music you at least have more freedom to again project your own inner world onto that event. Having said that, I am very much inspired by something I started to do only much later in my kind of psychedelic explorations, and that is taking a low amount of LSD and walking in nature. Albert Hoffman referred to this as medicine walks. I'm literally talking about 25 micrograms, not much more. And um, But what you already notice with these amounts is that the, the world around you becomes more metaphorical. It becomes more a part of the process you're experiencing, right? So, um, in a way, nature, and one may even extrapolate that any kind of visual uh, experience can be a very fruitful way to 
project parts of yourself and engage with the therapy process. That's not to be excluded. Um, and at the same time, the, um, the, I think the, the questions there are how, how can you make that again, not too concrete? How can you kind of, kind of protect that level of abstraction that you see with music so, so, so profoundly? So, yeah, I mean, and I, think, I think there's a big difference between watching a video of trees in your virtual reality goggles exactly. and actually walking yes, through the exactly. forest, right? Totally, we're actually yeah, engaging totally. where you have the freedom to turn this way and look that way Absolutely. and walk yeah. forward and walk back and stop. Um, and you also get all the smells and the wind on your face versus, yes. um, yeah, it just, it just seems like um, it, it wouldn't necessarily be the same. There's like there's almost like some kind of like agency that you get by actually being able to engage with it versus being a passive observer, but who knows? Maybe we you know this conversation may have inspired some uh, young academic to you know maybe go down uh, the path that you went down, but for virtual reality instead, <laughs> just to prove, <laughs> just to prove us wrong. Yes, so exactly. Knows? Would be great. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the whole learning. point of academia, right? Is like collecting data and uh, just you know validating these things. Yeah, and also as a startup, also as a company, you know, we need to constantly test our assumptions and um and i'd be challenged on those yeah perfect well mendel this has been a pretty amazing conversation i know i've taken up almost an hour of your time and i know you're a busy guy so i want to let you go soon but is, is there anything that i missed or anything that you want to kind of leave the listeners with again with those conversations i always feel like ah we're, we're stretching the surface there's a lot of great yeah. kind of things this can this can lead into i loved your comment about feeling nature at the very end and being outdoors and being in touch with the intelligence that nature has to offer. Um, I do strongly believe that nature is also some kind of hidden therapist like music does. And there's lots of literature, academic literature that already is kind of suggesting that in different ways. And I do, I do, I do think that psychic therapy at this moment in time is a cartoon version of what it will be in 10 years from now. But you're really at the beginning of something incredibly fascinating and, and, and novel, but filled with opportunities to be more innovative, be more ethical, to be more effective, um, all of that. At the same time, I also feel we are at a very vulnerable crossroad here in this industry. Like it's very easy right now as well for things to go wrong. I think one of the biggest challenges that this field is facing is therapist training is the quality mm. of the human presence in the room. I think music can be a way to balance it out. I sometimes think even in that direction, if the therapist is a, a person that maybe is not qualified enough, if at least we have great music, the person has at least a better therapeutic opportunity. But at the end of the day, the individual presences in the room, whether it's in the individual context or in the group context, are so important to get right. And at the same time, something that we cannot rush too much. Right? If we apply the same... Um, approach to scaling a pizza delivery startup versus psychedelic therapy, right? I sometimes I'm even coming to the conclusion that we want to be careful here with speed. And this is an ongoing I think, dialogue that we need to have in this, in, this, in this community and how we can balance this in a way um, that really, really kind of leverages the, the best and minimizes the, the risk to the most, um, in the best ways possible. That's one thing that comes to mind, for sure. Yeah, I, 
I think I think you're definitely right. I mean, I am an investor in the space, and one of the interesting things about investing, especially venture capital investing, is that you want to see these very high, like 10x returns, right? That's the mm-hmm. proverbial venture capital mantra. But very few parts of the psychedelic value chain really should be scaled that way. Um, you know, obviously, something like WavePass, a software platform, can scale like that. But That's therapists, yeah, yeah. Therapist, therapist trainings, even like clinics don't necessarily lend themselves to that scale. And I think people trying to force them into that sort of scale can be damaging, not just to the people involved in the business, but to the industry as a whole, because it yeah. can really like weaken the quality of the people playing. And that can, who knows what sorts of, you know, downstream effects that could have. Yeah, I totally agree. So we've just got to be careful. But I I do like what you said about we are now at this place that is almost like a cartoon version of what psychedelic therapy will be like in 10 years. So let's let's aim for that future where the, you know, the 10 years from now psychedelic therapy landscape is, you know, vastly improved from where it is now and hopefully, you know, accessible to so many people. And um, yeah, it's an exciting time to be alive. Mendel, where can people find you online and what's the best way for them to follow WavePaths? (laughs) WavePaths.com. Or wave fast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or all the social media platforms as well. Yeah. Awesome. There's newsletters you can sign up as well. Perfect. All right. Well, Mendel, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime. Totally. Yeah. Thank you so much for the interview. <laughs> it, was, it was really fun. Awesome, man. Cheers.